Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and today's guest is Ericsson's head of IoT strategy and big-time IoT influencer, Rob Tiffany, who joins us today to share his experiences with the IoT connectivity landscape and the future of connectivity for IoT. To give you a little background on Rob, he joined Ericsson back in 2018, where he is now the vice president and head of IoT strategy. As I'm sure most of you are already familiar with Ericsson, just to give you a quick high-level overview of who they are, they make 5G, LTE, and other cellular technologies, about 40 percent of the global mobile internet traffic passes through Ericsson gear. So obviously I was very excited when Rob agreed to sit down and talk about all things IoT and share his insights with our audience. He's had a very extensive background in the IoT space and really knows what he's talking about, which you can clearly see through his passion and enthusiasm throughout this conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Rob Tiffany of Ericsson. Welcome Rob to the IoT for All show. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Um, I wanted to start out by just having you give a quick introduction, you know, quick background about yourself to our audience so they get a little more insight in who they're listening to. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm currently the head of IoT strategy at Ericsson, which is that company that makes cellular technology and all that 5G stuff you keep hearing about. And we, we sell that technology to mobile operators around the world uh, to push that out. Um, in the past, I, I did IoT M2M stuff all the way back into the 90s. Um, you know, doing dumb vending machines and making them smart. Um, <laughs> spent a lot of time at most of my career at Microsoft, actually uh, doing Windows Mobile, Windows Phone, embedded stuff. Uh, helped build Azure. The last thing I was doing there, we were incubating Azure IoT, um, which I'm sure your audience is really familiar with. And so that was a yeah. that was a fun deal to be involved in. I was one of the co-authors of the whole the reference architecture there. Uh, got recruited by Hitachi to come into their group to build them an industrial IoT platform. And so and so I created designed this thing called Lumata, uh, which is an industrial IoT platform from Hitachi. Uh, and that was a lot of lot of fun, really exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, I've been at Ericsson for about the last couple of years. Uh, and Ericsson's, you know, as you can imagine, more fo- focused on the connectivity side things uh, when you think IoT. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Crazy ride for sure. So let me ask you then, what is in your role as kind of the head of IoT strategy at Ericsson, what exactly do you do? What's your focus um, and kind of what are your overall goals in, in that role for the company? Yeah, if there's a overriding kind of Uber goal for IoT, at least Ericsson, it's really is to grow the a number of like cellular IoT endpoints out there. Um, if that makes sense, um, you know, all up. And so, and so all the different things, the pr- products, offerings that we would deliver to the market that go towards helping that, um, you know, Cellular is probably not in the lead when it comes to how people connect <laughs> IoT devices. Um, you know, unless it's like a connected car, right? You know, things are outside and moving around. Sure. Um, and and so uh, and so yeah, driving that. And so you know, uh, within our IoT group, you know, we have a uh, several products. Our, our main one is this thing called IoT Accelerator, which is a global um, connection management platform, basically. Um, 
and I can walk you through that really quick. Um, obviously, connectivity is kind of one of the components or pillars of doing an IoT solution. Uh, and so in the event that you're doing cellular connectivity, uh, we have this global platform and it's actually a dedicated network, uh, cellular network uh, in cooperation with, I think, about 35 or 36 mobile operators around the globe. Um, I think there's about 6,000 enterprises using it now. Um, but um, to kind of give you the scenario, Imagine you're a manufacturer in Shenzhen, and so you're building whatever machine, piece of equipment, whatever it is you're building, and and uh, you know you want it to be connected, uh, IoT enabled, you know the sensors and actuators and everything. And so that, so at time of manufacturing, um, you know you'd have compute, storage, networking, and that networking piece, you know, would be in, in our case a cellular module. Mm-hmm. And if you're part of this group signed up to be managed by this uh, IoT accelerator capability, uh, the gist of it is, you know, you make the product, you sell it, uh, whether directly or through a distributor. And then let's just say someone in France buys it. Mm -hmm. And when the first time they switch on that product, that's whatever it happens to be, uh, it'll be able to connect locally to a mobile operator. Uh, so that you could start sending your telemetry and receiving commands, that kind of thing. and then it roams. Um, and it's not to be confused with some of those global sims you've seen that, that just kind of roam all over the place. Uh, it's, it's aside from the technology, there's lots of contracts and other things involved with different mobile operators. Um, you know, your audience may not realize while their phones may allow them to roam maybe to other countries and you've got certain plans that let you do that. Um, it's not like other mobile operators are thrilled with the idea of you just permanently camping out and roaming on their network. Sure. That's, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why they may use a system like ours. Cause that's, that's exactly what it's designed for. Okay. Gotcha. So how, how do you all kind of approach the competitive landscape in the connectivity space and IOT? Like you said, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of options out there. Um, a lot of use cases are using different connectivity options. Um, and cellular may not be the first choice for a number of reasons. And oftentimes it's, it's a, you know, maybe a cost thing or just, you know, maybe cellular has is just not needed for the individual use case. So how do you guys approach, um, I guess your overall strategy when it comes to playing in such a competitive space, like the connectivity piece of IOT. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a challenge. No doubt about it. Um, I often think of, you know, there's just more friction typically for a person to use cellular versus Wi-Fi or something else, right. Um, that they can just get up and running. And so, so the, the challenge and going after that is, is certainly is reducing that friction. Um, any way you can, you know, because you're right, the average person, if, if I put my shoe, you know, myself in the shoes of a developer and they're thinking cellular, they're thinking, oh gosh, do I need to call a mobile operator or something? Do I need to get a plan? Is that going to cost me a lot of money? Should I just do this free thing because it's inside a building, whatever? And so, and I totally get that. And so, reducing costs, you know, it, at least through this platform we have to try to simplify that. Um, uh, is a thing, um, you know, there, no doubt there's, um, aside from just all the different t- ways to connect and there's zillions of them, um, in this connection management space, you know, there aren't too many companies doing what we do. I mean, you may have heard of, you, you might know Jasper, uh, for go is similar, uh, Vodafone, 
it has a large platform. But for the most part, most of these types of platforms are actually all kind of homegrown, built by individual mobile operators around the world. Um, and as you can imagine, they were also they were originally built to just provision smartphones, right? Regular. Yeah, so it's you know not a not a huge leap, um, and so the notion of uh, a, one that works globally is a little unique. Uh, at, you know, a few people do it, uh, and, and then the, just the notion that it's a, a third party offering, like from a vendor like us, uh, versus just calling up your local mobile. Hey, dude, you know, calling Verizon or AT and T or T Mobile or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, and here's the other here's another thing though you know and so as we we move into this 5G age, um, you, as you can imagine, a company like Ericsson, there's only a handful of companies that actually make 5G technology, and so Ericsson's one of them. And right now we're spending all our time rolling out 5G around the world, um, and so we are hoping. Not that you need 5G to do IoT, because obviously we've been doing this stuff for decades uh, with miserably slow connectivity, and sometimes that's actually just fine. Um, but with 5G connectivity, we we kind of have we have you know since we're one of the creators of the technology, we have different ways of delivering that kind of technology that makes it more attractive potentially uh, to, to users to IoT endpoints. Um, whether it's public stuff or we also make uh, the idea of private 5G, private LTE uh, networks, which is also kind of a new growing thing. Um, but, you know, at a high level, if I just think of 5G, generally speaking of connectivity, obviously most people just think of, you know, faster performance, right? right? Faster cat videos. You're, you're wa walking around with your speed test app on your phone trying to find you know, and so obviously high, higher throughput is, is, is certainly part of it, no doubt about it. And there's use cases that need that. Um, there's also other things that are not as well. You know, there's lower latency uh, or as gamers would think of lag or ping times. Um, there's use cases where low latency is super critical. You need incredible responsiveness. And so 5G is going to give you that. There's um, also capacity is one that no one really ever talks about. So think about all these IoT projects we've done over the years, like broad scale ones like smart cities, you know, or connected vehicles or whatever. Um, the reality is, is it, for those things to really come to life uh, in the way that we all hope they will, there's going to need dramatically more capacity. And what I mean by that is your ability to handle more concurrently connected devices, right? Uh, networks. So right now we would have hit bottlenecks already. Um, but IoT IoT generally is massively underperformed every analyst expectation. So for better or worse, we haven't run into that bottleneck. Um, and so with, with 5G, you're getting about a hundred X more capacity for the same gear, uh, you know, the same cell towers and things like that, which dramatic. Um, there's the, you literally could have a million concurrently connected devices in a one square kilometer area uh, around cell towers. So that's, that's going to help. Um, you're probably also familiar with, if you go to narrowband stuff, you know, obviously, you know, Sigfox and LoRaWAN have been doing this for a while on the cellular side. We have things like LTEM and NB IoT uh, to narrowband, and those things are being advanced as part of the more recent 3G PP geeky specs for for 5G. And so, you know, that's that's gonna that's gonna be our push, you know, from, from the narrowband side. Um, 
interesting technology. You know, when you think about um, a lot of times people are building their own networks, maybe they'll use Laura uh, to, to build a rural area, farm, agriculture, whatever. Uh, and they, there's not cellular coverage. And so they're cr- having to create their own coverage. And so that's a thing. Um, with some of our new Ericsson technology on our cell towers with our radios, while still staying within the three GPP specs that have to work globally, um, we can beam NB-IoT signals about 120 kilometers away from a cell tower and underground. And so, yeah. And so as stuff like that starts to roll out, you know, we've been, we've been doing test sites with that uh, in Australia with Telstra. And so a lot of that, you know, because, you know, like everything in life, it all comes down to economics, right? And so why are there no, why, why aren't there as many cell towers in the middle of nowhere? And it's because there's not enough people to support it financially. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Having longer range is, is certainly a thing. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the, the beauty of IoT is that, you know, and the, how far it's come in the last number of years on the connectivity side is there are options to enable so many different use cases, right? You combine that with the hardware, you combine that with the cloud, the application layer, all that kind of stuff. Just, there's so many more ways to enable IoT to be adopted by companies across multiple industries. And 5G is something that is just going to add to the kinds of use cases and potential for IoT. Yes, at many times, it will not be the connectivity that is needed for a certain use case based on just the demand for the basis for the bandwidth latency. It just may not be needed. It's kind of based on maybe it's, it's overkill sure. because of the price that comes along with it. But, but I do believe that 5g has its place in IOT and is going to enable a lot of use cases that have just been more hypothetical use cases or concepts up until now. Um, so there is a big, big place for it. And as you bring in the conversation about, you know, MBIOT and, and LTEM, I mean, those are, you're seeing those implemented in a wide variety of use cases that end up having lots of devices out into the field. And that is something that we believe firmly in is required for IoT to be adopted and Absolutely. for to start to see the real value of it. Um, so playing on playing on to that piece, um, I'm curious, I'm curious to get a sense of from from your angle, either personally or through the lens of Ericsson, um, where do you kind of see the market right now and where do you kind of see it going in the next couple of years? And then on top of that, how have you seen COVID affect things um, uh, as if, you know, for the last, you know, six months or so? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, the market is, you know, it hasn't gotten, <laughs> I, I probably overstay this, but you know, you'll probably remember way back when, when uh, McKinsey published their little report that said it was going to be an $11 trillion market, which got a whole lot of companies and startups diving into this gold rush. Um, and so I know they're all searching for that big bag of money and they're struggling to find it. Um, you know, all the predictions about how many connected devices and things like that, you know, we've, we've certainly haven't gotten any close to that. And so we're probably in that trough of disillusionment right now, actually, um, you know, from Gartner. And so that's kind of where the market's at. I think, uh, you know, if you think of the, just the different market dynamics or who, you know, Obviously, there's old timers like me who've been doing this stuff forever since the 90s. And then there's, and then there's people who kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Kind of, you know, if, if you think that IoT kind of when the hype came, got going, um, 2010, 2012, I don't know, you can pick the date. Um, you know, when people started, and I often think, you know, the reason that really happened 
was, you know, it was a perfect storm. You've, you know, microcontrollers and things like that were getting cheaper. You started to have kind of near, not totally, but near ubiquitous kind of connectivity that you need. Uh, storage, especially in the cloud, was going to zero as far as cost. It was getting cheap. Um, analytics tools and technologies that used to cost tens of millions of dollars that were just reserved for big companies and governments. Now you just go to apache.org and download stuff for free. And so a whole lot of things came together to make it possible for lots of people that being said. And so I think that's what got us off to the races. Um, and then, and then so much of IOT, whether it's, you know, building, Azure IoT or Lumata or anything else, a lot of those systems look a whole lot like middleware that we've built as developers, you know, thousands of times before, right? And so there was that level of familiarity that really got the market going. Um, I think all that being said, though, is, you know, you also you often hear people talk about how we're all living in POC hell, you know, uh, projects not getting into production. They're just kind of stagnating. Yeah, that purgatory stage. Right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, sometimes things, you know, that seem economically viable in a, in a POC or in a small pilot at scale are still just costing a lot of money. Um, you know, and I think that that's you know, among other things is one thing folks are running into uh, and connectivity can be part of that, especially if it's cellular, you know, is, is, is the, is the price pushed down far enough that it makes sense? Cause you know, I, I think a lot of people, as they were ready to go to production, they kind of looked at the costs of everything and they may have scratched their head and said, wow, you know, this may not be worth doing. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to get enough value. Yeah. And so um, I think really to accelerate, I, I believe it's definitely pulling out more friction out of different parts of the market. Uh, gosh, like just configuring devices still. Um, yeah. People spend so much time configuring, programming devices to to connect. And so it's not a shocker when you say, well, gosh, how come we didn't make it to 50 billion devices by 2020? And you can, you can see it. You can go, well, gosh, maybe if me and 50 billion of my best friends were at a giant room table, <laughs> then maybe we pulled it off. But that's not that's not reality. Right. Um, and And so that part of it really needs to be, and this is not brand, this is not magical information. A lot of that configuration and programming, it really needs to be pushed back to the OEM, I think, at time of manufacturing, um, rather than after like an aftermarket car stereo store, which is kind of the world a lot of us live in. And so having, you know, whatever that connectivity is, whatever that microcontroller mapping to the sensors and actuators, the software, how that's bundled, security keys, identity, getting all that stuff baked in at time of manufacturing so that when it comes off the line, not only is it waking up and being able to connect using our connectivity or someone else's, but then that next step is, oh, and now the software it needs to start being able to send telemetry and connect to its uh, you know, destination platform, whatever the customer happened to choose. We got, we got, we got, it, it needs to be like when you think of some well done consumer IOT, you know, like Nest thermostat or, or gosh, go back and just, if you had a Kindle with 3G on it when they first came out, right? Um, you, you, people, you wanted to just turn on and just start working and the whole thing start working as if, as if it was an end to end thing from a, from an OEM. That's what needs to happen for all of IOT, for industrial, for everything. Uh, 
um, for us to hit those numbers, right? Uh, to have that broad adoption, and then and then of course you know other other friction is is certainly skill sets since there's so many different disciplines domains that you have to know to to make it all happen. Um, a lot of people lead with technology instead of business and business value, and um, I, the age of companies leading with a horizontal IoT platform that's turned out to just be a non-starter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, there's obviously I've been involved with a few of those. Um, and if you're big enough to keep pouring billions into that, then that's fine. But, um, you know, the, the stuff that sticks are people that are leading with a, a solution, an app, you know, for a specific problem. Um, yeah, I, I think when you, you know, one thing we've noticed is that success comes when there's an actual business case attached to it. And people are thinking, from more of the use case backwards and not leading with the technology piece. They're finding the right technology to fit the use case and the problem for that intended end user. And that's often not the case and not how companies are selling their services or products and not how companies are thinking about it when they're approaching, you know, when they're considering bringing IoT into their business, whether it has to integrate with legacy systems or it's or not, they're not thinking necessarily in what, at least I view, the the correct way to have the best chance of success when it comes to deploying an IoT solution. Absolutely. And it all it also seems kind of obvious to people who've been around the block that with any software or any kind of project of any kind, you know, you you're always leading with the the business case, you know, it's like <laughs> overused quotes from Simon Sinek, you know, start with why. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Why are you doing this? Are you are you yeah. is it, are you just a bunch of engineers gone wild and having a fun science experiment? Uh, <laughs> which we we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? We have. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes those are exciting, right? But that's not what leads to the massive scale that these analysts have been predicting for years and we're not reaching. So, totally. um, so I, I definitely think it's, it's kind of a revamp across the board on the way people need to be thinking about it. But what I, another thing I wanted to ask you is, um, how are you seeing, you know, now that you're kind of more in a global role and you probably have exposure to a lot of different markets, most of our guests have been kind of focused more on the, the U S market. Are you seeing the adoption um, or I guess, how are you seeing adoption kind of change depending on the area of the world that you've been exposed to? Are you seeing certain regions adopt it you know, more successfully? Are you seeing certain regions um, having more trouble than other regions in, in IoT adoption? Um, you know, just kind of what are your overall thoughts there? Yeah, no doubt about it. For the longest time, probably like you and others, I had this right or wrong, a U.S. view of things. Um, and, and then, and then over time as, as horizons broaden, you know, when I, you know, gosh, when I started working for Hitachi and I'm spending all my time in Japanese factories working mm -hmm. with control systems groups, um, and then, and then at Ericsson, you know, with, with our IOT accelerator technologies, you know, so much of our growth, a lot of the growth is, is happening in China and throughout Asia. Uh, but, but particularly in China. And so, you know, not to narrow the focus just to kind of that industrial side of things, but the, the biggest traction I'm seeing, certainly as a segment, I know industrial is a kind of generic broad term, uh, you know, maybe manufacturing is more specific, um, is, is certainly having the best uptake. Um, and so I certainly see that happening big time. Uh, in Japan, in China, 
Okay. You know, different markets in Southeast Asia. You know, it, it's just producers of things, right? People are making machines or cars or whatever, you name it, bullet trains um, or machines that are used to make other machines, right? Um, which is which is a huge market, right? And so those folks, you know, like when I kind of, you know, you kind of talk about that slow start where all of IoT is kind of aftermarket with the exception of a few uh, consumer brands. Um, and, and then the realization of folks knowing, gosh, you know what, in the future for our products to really take off all that thing, all that stuff has to be baked in, you know, again, at time of manufacturer. Um, and so I'm certainly seeing that kind of growth, uh, China and Japan, particularly, um, Germany's jumping on it big time. Um, and this is also, you know, coincides with, you know, how we, you know, you think of IoT as some kind of mega trend, um, but there are also other waves that people are riding, right? And so, you know, one of those is just this whole industry 4.0 stuff that started in Germany around manufacturing. Uh, I know other people are grabbing onto that term and using it for everything now, um, but, but that that there's use cases and things that are part of industry 4.0. The, there's, you know, the a group that put it together along with the German government and, and use cases. And as part of trying to get to that vision, uh, you know, of by, you know, 2030 or something, when they hope to realize this industry 4.0 vision, a lot of things are required. And so putting a lot of that compute networking storage in machines at time and manufacturing is a deal, a deal. Um, Having more agile factories, um, kind of nerdy, you know, for, for years, you know, if you, you're building whatever, you're building cars or something and you have a, a assembly line and it doesn't have to change very often, you know, unless you're retooling for a new model of car. And so you can imagine why people use Ethernet for that stuff. If, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, again, monitoring different components of that stuff is, is absolutely not new. Um, but they're doing, there's newer ways to do it, better analytics, uh, than you used to have. So with industry 4.0, there are these ideas around mass customization, which is really hard to do when you're building big machines. Uh, it's not like going on the internet and buying a t-shirt and saying, I want it to be red and have this logo right, or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. So factories are going to look different. They're going to have weird stations that you'll go to. And so the notion of, it's almost like retooling every week or every day. Uh, for cars, for instance, in this case. And so uh, that's why we uh, like bringing it back a little bit to Ericsson. There's this whole notion of private 5G that we're, there's a ton of interest in it now. Um, it's, you know, we've had private LTE for quite a while, but the gear to do it looked like telco gear that the typical IT person, maybe, you know, it's kind of kind of blows over their head a bit. So we've had to build gear technology that looks something more like, you know, what an IT person would understand, like Cisco, you know, or whatever, a bunch of 1U racks or something like that. And so we've built private 5G technology. Uh, and there's a lot of interest in this as we're kind of, especially in this manufacturing sector, because they need that agility. Uh, they've looked at Wi-Fi to go wireless so that they can move around. Uh, you know, and it's it's a mixed bag. You know, some things work, some things don't. Um, so a lot of those giant manufacturers are reaching out and we're seeing a lot of activity around the notion of private LTE and private 5G inside these factories and warehouses. And so that's, that's happening. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's a, 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 a trailing or a leading indicator. Um, but, but a lot of moves are being made there 
that weren't being made before. Um, and so you're seeing there's also this whole notion. And it, again, so much of this comes back to government things as well. So it's great. We could say, yes, I w- I'm going to buy all this gear and I'm going to put these little radio dot things up on the ceiling of my factory that look like little smoke detectors to have this amazing 5G coverage inside my factory. But the elephant in the room in the past has always been, that's great. But guess what? You have to have spectrum. Um, even though you thought you were buying some private thing, you know, like buying Wi-Fi or something, you, you just turn it on. Um, and so that was always, you know, something that, that was a blocker friction. So now in the U.S., there's something called CBRS. Yes. Uh, and and there's there's similar things in Germany and in Sweden. Other governments looking at that where, where big companies, manufacturers, others can can carve off uh, some spectrum for a limited area, you know, radius, you know, Hey, I'm in this County. I need, I just need a mile radius around this distribution center. So it'll be fun to watch that. Cause I'm, I'm certainly seeing, I certainly have a front row seat since we make that gear. And so I'm seeing that happen. And so that's an interesting deal to, to see that in motion. And, and again, it's being led by manufacturers. Do you, and do you, do you think that is kind of one of the biggest areas for growth in the IOT space in the coming years? Or if not, what would you say is? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Um, hey, I've always told people in the IoT space when they get disgruntled, <laughs> I was just, you know, it's just like, you know, follow the money, right? Uh, who's got a lot to lose when things fail? And I mean a lot to lose yeah. uh, because it's turned out that incremental value, incremental savings, even if that meant a few million dollars, it turns out that just wasn't enough for a lot of companies. I, I know a lot of people are surprised to go, gosh, we're going to save you $3 million a year. Surely you're going to want to buy this system. And then they just don't do it. Um, it's, it's got a big, I'm not saying it always has to be, but things that hit big companies in the wallet in a big way. You know, if my, if my assembly line building cars goes down because one of my industrial robots failed and that's cost me 300,000 euros an hour. Um, and then of course everyone's using, you know, lean manufacturing, right? The Toyota way. And so it's all just in time. It's disrupting your distributors. It's your customers downstream. And so it's a real problem. Those are the kind of folks who are, who are doing the IOT stuff. And so whether it's the, the connectivity aspect of it and then industrial platforms like Lumata or others, you know, or Azure IoT or things like that running at the edge. Um, you know, th- those are the people who are most likely to do it. A lot of the nice to have, especially, you know, you asked about the time of COVID and the time of COVID has also been the time of economic collapse um, for a lot of folks. And so it, it kind of goes without saying all those nice to have projects just evaporated overnight. And the only things that are real are the, you know, the stuff that's just super, super critical uh, that means has a huge impact on the bottom line. You know, I always keep going back to economics, but, but that's, that's really what everything goes back to is, is it going to save me just an overwhelming amount of money? Not a little bit, or is it going to make me more money? You know? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and, and would you say that the, the, the art, when it comes to ROI and from the cost perspective, um, that's one of the key drivers and at the same time barriers to IOT adoption and kind of in that same breath outside of cost, what would you say are the biggest drivers and barriers to, to IOT adoption growing? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Economics is number one. There's cost. 
Um, what are all these things going to, you know, cost at scale? Um, am I retrofitting industrial robots and stuff like that? Or am I buying new ones that have all the tech built into them? Um, what's it cost at scale? When I look at my spreadsheet and, and add up the numbers, is, is this good for me or not good for me? Um, the other part, uh, you know, is then skills. Kind of we mentioned the, that friction of, do I know how to build this stuff? Do I know how to put all this stuff together? Or does this look like a big, you know, am I connecting lots of Legos together and, and needing lots of skill sets? Um, and gosh, you know, right now it, it's a tough time. Um, that being said, if I think, you know, sometimes I'm sure you've done it. I, I certainly think, but you know, what has worked really well uh, during this time of COVID for people. And it's, it's kind of like what we're doing right now. It's, you know, these digital experiences delivered over connectivity that are making remote things local um, in every way possible. Everybody's doing zoom calls or team meetings and stuff like that. You know, normally I'm at the office with you and now I'm the office is at my house. Uh, my wife is a school teacher. <laughs> I see it firsthand, you know, she's teaching the kids, you know, over this technology. Um, connectivity has never been more critical and more important than ever, you know, things that people take for granted. Um, and I, and, and while I get that connectivity is one ingredient, um, gosh, I think it's great. I know it sounds obvious that internet has held together under unprecedented use and strain. Uh, these wireless data networks uh, all over the world are all holding together and keeping people connected. And so, you know, there's, there's certainly nuggets to pull out of all that stuff. And, and then you can, you can extrapolate those things, you know, I'm doing remote classrooms. I'm doing all my remote meetings. I'm, remote education. Um, am I going to get to a, do I need to do a remote factory? Will I get to a complete lights out gigafactory like Elon Musk has, you know, or am I get somewhere in between? Um, so many low hanging fruit IOT things that are the easy stuff that don't require advanced analytics, let alone machine learning are all that remote inspection of things, you know, it, just easy stuff in a city. Am I looking at cracks and bridges? Am I, you know, all that monitoring people who take logs. Um, there's a lot of, I would just say really low hanging fruit. That's kind of the easy stuff. Um, I think we're going to see more uptake there. Sure. I completely, I completely agree with you. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to just get a sense from on the, in the connectivity space. Um, how how are you seeing and we kind of talked about this with with private lt networks we've talked about other connectivity connectivity um options that companies and um use cases are, are have available to them but but are you are, are there certain challenges that you're seeing come up more now than you've ever seen before on the connectivity side i know for one like rural areas trying to get wireless coverage like you've already mentioned is difficult but just is there something that you know maybe the uh, the average person listening to this uh that works in iot may not really think about when it comes to connectivity challenges that companies need to be thinking about and probably addressing earlier on in their IoT journey than, you know, than getting further along and, and then falling into that pilot purgatory potentially? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my experience is people think about connectivity last. <laughs> Every IoT project I've seen, either I've been involved in building myself or I'm 
sold the technology to people or created the technology that customers are using time and again, the connectivity is just like, whatever, we'll figure it out later. Um, and so, so many projects may start off on Wi-Fi and the need to move to cellular or something else. Right. Um, or even if they're just moving to Wi-Fi, um, I think people underestimate the extra configuration that has to happen. Um, I mean, just, just, just with something like Wi-Fi, for instance, you're like, that's a slam dunk. I'm just going to configure it here on my little device and then I'm going. Uh, but in production, it, it needs to be something else. I need to connect to another access point with a different SSID or something like that. Or I need to change security keys or stuff like that on it. And you know how we often talk about, you know, obviously, we're always talking about ROI and IoT. And we talk about if you have to visit your device again, how it can destroy your ROI because um, ROI is not just the overall project, the overall thing. I mean, it is, but if you start thinking of ROI as individual little strands from every IOT endpoint, every device, every machine, whatever sensor out there has its own little thread going back to, let's say your platform or something. Um, each one of those is their own little bit of ROI uh, for your overall system. And so you, we often hear about battery life. And when you think about things like LoRaWAN or NB-IoT and stuff, you know, with parking meters or under the ground uh, where cars are parking or in agriculture, every time I have to roll a truck, uh, to go reconfigure that thing, you're killing the ROI. And in fact, it's possible for that one little thread going back from that one device, you may have killed the ROI for that thing for all time. Uh, I don't think people think about that very much. Um, they just kind of, well, it is what it is, right? Um, so so that that reconfiguring, that extra configuring is, is, a, is a thing. Uh, and it, it can kill you, you, the dollars, right? Um, and so people need to people need to think about that more early on in projects, just like they need to think about security a little bit more early on and uh, in, in projects rather than it being an afterthought or something they're going to change. Um, no doubt about it. Cellular, you know, we, we have a mountain to climb. Things have to be priced right. Uh, configuration needs to be automated and easy. It needs to be just as easy as any other way of connecting for us to, to have a chance of success. Um, you know, it's not enough to say, well, we're successful with connected cars because cars are a huge expensive thing. And so what you're doing is a tiny portion of it. But if you want cellular or these kind of connectivities to be part of lower price products, you know, I've always said, and it's just off the top of my head, you know, all the stuff you're doing around IoT, the, the microcontroller, the module or Wi-Fi and your software and everything, it needs to be way lower than 1% of the cost of the total thing, the, the device, the machine. And, you know, and if it's not, then, you know, you're going to struggle economically to, to sell your product or to make a profit. Um, so anyway, I think that's where people need to be it, that, that ongoing configuration and making sure that it, it's not just zero touch at the beginning. It's zero touch throughout. Right. No, I, I, t I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, the, your insights today have been fantastic. And it's always great to talk to somebody who has a very unique kind of a, um, view of the market that not many companies and not many individuals are exposed to. And then hearing those insights and seeing how they really align with a lot of the ideas and philosophies we have at IoT for All and just how we view the market and where we're seeing it. It's, it's great to know that the leaders in the industry are have that same view because I think that's what's really going to take is that education piece and, um, you know, and being involved in as many, um, 
uh, deployments and solutions as possible to have adoption reach this potential that we've been promised for so many years, which is why we all are in this space. You know, we, we believe in that and yeah. it's good to, it takes that. So, so I truly appreciate your time today and kind of sharing that. I wanted to just wrap up with asking you, um, is there any news or any kind of, you know, new information or speaking engagements that you're going to be doing anything our, our audience can be kind of on the lookout for either coming out of kind of the stuff that you do individually or, or in, in, you know, conjunction with Ericsson, um, on the company side of things. Yeah. Um, well, always doing, <laughs> we're all doing lots of virtual speaking, aren't we? Um, these days, both Ericsson and I do for a lot of other organizations that, you know, people are plugged into. Um, you know, personally, uh, my, my side thing, uh, I, you know, I created a foundation called the Moab Foundation, like Moab, Utah, where you might go see some pretty arches or whatever. Um, you know, over the years, I, Maybe like you, you start to realize that a lot of these use cases or a lot of things that IoT can deliver have broader societal impacts than just business and making more money, um, you know. And so uh, I started this foundation saying, you know, how can I build technology that I already know how to build? And how can I match that with use cases and roadmaps to show people how they can make a difference uh, in, in the world or in the environment? Um, and so this Moab Foundation, I've kind of aligned it with if people might be familiar with the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, um, which we only have 10 years to go <laughs> to try to achieve these things. And it's a tall order, just like the tall order of, you know, IoT adoption, I guess. Um, but what I found helpful around that is it gives you 17 categories to start focusing your thinking around around can IoT make a difference in poverty or water issues or climate or things like that? Uh, and it allows you to start drilling in and coming up with all the use cases that make sense. You know, you, you certainly don't want to pound a square peg in a round hole if IoT isn't relevant for some things. But it is, I found it is relevant for a lot of things. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I do spend uh, my weekends, uh, extra time, and I have some folks I work with, still, still baby steps. Um, but the combination of going across those goals, writing up use cases, getting smart people who know way better than I do in those, those different verticals to, uh, you know, what's, what's the actual plan that a person would have to do along with technology to execute on this plan? How do I, you know, how do, how do I solve water problems, you know, in Africa? How do I, you know, get more food on the table when you, when you find out that the high percentage of extreme poverty, it turns out most of those folks are in the agriculture business. And so how can I make them more money? How can you improve crop yields, which is something that we all talk about in IoT all the time anyway. Um, and then of course, then the sad thing is then, well, how do, wow, we did a great job in producing higher crop yields, but then we found out we lost some big percentage of that food in the supply chain. It went bad or it was lost before it got to market or to people's tables. Well, there's other issues where IoT can play a role there. And we know about those, cold chain, all kinds of supply chain and tracking. So, you know, you can kind of put the dots together and then I, you know, I'm not just some talking head. I still, I'm an architect. I'm still a developer. I write code. And so, uh, and so I've built a kind of a lightweight portable IOT platform that does a lot of the things that other platforms you know of, uh, does. Uh, but the goal there is to just give it away to, to nonprofits, the NGOs so that they can combine that technology with use cases and volunteers, people who volunteer, 
to to take on and tackle these goals. So it's a tall order, but uh, yeah, it, I'm, I'm passionate about it for sure. Great. Well, yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell in, in everything you've said today, the energy and, and your enthusiasm for it is, is great, great to see. Um, and I, I loved having you as a guest today. I really appreciate your time. I, you know, I, I, I plan to, to hopefully if, if you have the time and, you know, maybe the beginning to end, uh, middle of next year, have you back to just kind of talk about what you're seeing, hopefully coming out of COVID and just how the industry is progressing. So, um, so I really appreciate it. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. And I think our audience is going to love this episode. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Good chatting with you. Absolutely. Thanks again. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to that episode of the IoT for All podcast with our special guest, Rob Tiffany, the vice president and head of IoT strategy at Ericsson. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So hope you did as well. If you did, please leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Also, feel free to subscribe to our podcast directly as well as our social media or our newsletter to ensure that you get the latest episodes as soon as they become available. But other than that, we really appreciate your time and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.